Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you. <sighs> I think I've got a couple of highs. Hi, one or two of you over there. <laughs> Woo, hi, everybody. How are you doing? <laughs> Awake. What a good start. Well, I can put that right. Um, I hope that you've been enjoying the series we've been doing on Ephesians. This amazing 2,000-year-old letter that just seems so fresh from that disciple of Jesus called Paul to that small group of Christians that he knew so well in that thriving city called Ephesus in the country we now call Turkey. Paul knew them so well because he'd spent two years there with them and seen so many of them coming to believe in Jesus, seen their lives change completely, seen miracles happen, seen lives being turned around, seen lives that were filled with darkness, now overflowing with light, joy, and purpose. So do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we had a guest speaker from the diocese called David Senior? Do you remember when David Senior came and talked to us? For your memory, he's slightly older, yes, even older than me or Patrick, senior by name and senior by nature. Well, if you were here to hear him talk, you'd remember the passion and actually the youthfulness by which he talked, as he talked about this amazing life that we can have following Jesus. And one thing that he shared with us was a stark saying that has really stuck with me from a lady called Jackie Pullinger. She was a famous missionary known for bringing the good news of Jesus to the people of Hong Kong, many of whom who were hopelessly, were seamlessly hopelessly addicted to opium. She once said, it's a miserable life to be half a Christian. It's a miserable life to be half a Christian. Following the living Lord Jesus is not a part-time activity. And if we think it is, we are losing out on so much. Christianity isn't a hobby that you can pick up or put down as it suits. It's a miserable life to be half a Christian. But it's a full, purposeful, joyful life to be a whole Christian. And this is Paul's desire for the people of Ephesus. And by implication, for all of God's people, including each of you, each of us. And it's also our desire on the staff team here to, for us all to be more wholly Christian, more wholly his for each of us to grow deeper, to mature and get deeper and closer to Jesus in our daily lives as we learn to trust him and follow him 24-7. Okay, so today in our letter to the Ephesians, we get to a turning point in Paul's passionate letter and his words to those people of Ephesus. We're exactly halfway through and this is actually where Paul changes track it would be really good if you had your Bibles open. Uh, there are Bibles at the end of your, the rows of your seats. Do feel free to open a, a paper Bible or, a, or your, switch on your phone and go to your Bible app. Somebody like Mark, well done. Anyone else, Bible app is absolutely fine. And what we're looking at um, is uh, the book of, Ephesus, of, of, of Ephesians. It's on page 1173. 1,173, it starts. And as I just said, tonight, 
as we move through this letter that many people actually call one of Paul's finest letters. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at the first three chapters. That's on page 1173 and 1174. In this, these amazing first three chapters, Paul has been reminding the Ephesians and us of the amazing story of God's rescue plan for his people. A plan that is for all people. A plan that we heard last week from Steve is all centered around God's amazing love that he has as his very nature. We heard that not only does God love us, but indeed more deeply and fundamentally than that, God is love. His very being is love. And this love pours out on us. This love comes from the three natures of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's amazing love is shown so completely in him that he died for us on the cross. Last week in chapter 3, verse 18, we read this. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So as I said before, this chapter 4, just a couple of pages on, if you get to chapter 4, is where Paul changes track. Those first three chapters are all about God's saving plan for us. And the next three chapters that we start today and will go on for a few weeks is all about how we can be part of his full story. This is the exciting part of us connecting with God. These next three chapters are about our story coming alongside God's story. Now, Paul never holds back his punches, turning to each of us, writing to the Ephesians and each of us from prison in Rome. He writes, and Robin's going to keep up with us on the, with the verses. So the verse, first verse, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Remembering Jackie Pullinger's words from earlier, Paul is saying, let's be serious and committed to this amazing new life that Jesus gives us. Let's not be half a Christian, as that is a miserable life. And this is not what Jesus wants for us either. He said about his followers, he said, and that includes each one of us, he said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Paul urges us to live a life worthy of this calling that we have received. But what does it look like to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received? Well, Paul, of course, doesn't just leave us hanging. The rest of our passage today, the next 15 verses at the start of chapter 4, and in fact, beyond that, the rest of the letter does exactly that, showing us how we can live life, live this life worthy of our calling. But we will see, we'll see this unfolding over the next weeks. And today, though, we're going to concentrate on these 14 or 15 verses. And right now in those verses, our passage today, Paul teaches us about four different aspects of how to live this life. These are love unity, diversity, and growth. 
So he starts in verse 2 with love. He says, he writes, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And it all starts with love. In fact, Jesus had said to his followers, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, love changes everything. And so it's no wonder that so much of Scripture is all about the very importance of how we as church should love each other. Five verses for you. We're told in Ephesians 3, we are to be rooted and grounded in love. In Ephesians 4, we are to speak the truth in love. In Ephesians 5, we are to walk in love. In Colossians 2, the church is knit together in love. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, let all that you do be done in love. Now as we go through these four things that Paul wants us to teach us about them, we need to consider each one from how other people demonstrate, other people demonstrate, sorry, we have two ways of considering it. Do we, can, we, can we consider it the way that other people demonstrate this thing or do we focus on how we demonstrate it? Let me explain more. Here we can look at the command from Paul, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And we could look at that and look around us at church here and go, oh, well, they don't love me very well. They haven't said hello to me. They didn't do this. And we could start pointing. There's always a telltale sign when we start pointing. Or... Very differently, we could consider this verse for ourselves, challenging ourselves rather than others. Stop pointing and maybe point at ourselves and start thinking how we don't love other people. Now, I just want to share a verse that Jesus said, a lesson that Jesus said. Jesus once said in Matthew 7, Why do you look for the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in my own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the plank out of our own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So let's ask ourselves the log question this evening, not the speck question. How am I doing on love? Here's a, an illustration, a log. Patrick said earlier, I showed them to Patrick earlier, and he said, I didn't know you could do woodwork. And I said, nor did I until this afternoon, and maybe you'll be the judge of this. So here's the log question for love. Focusing on ourselves, how should we love each other better? The answer's there in Paul, from Paul in verse 2. And this is so challenging with complete humility, being gentle with each other and patient? And what about bearing with one another in love? Well, this means listening, really listening to each other. Listening like you are more interested in what they're saying than what you're going to say next. And I say that from a guilty heart. 
not focusing on what we want to say, but really listening in love, coming alongside, walking in that other person's shoes. This selfless love is so hard, but wouldn't it great, be great, church, if we were all like that? If you came into this room on a Sunday evening and you knew that everybody just wanted to know about you and listen to you and talk with you, I think this place would be packed. This verse 2 is huge and has so much meaning from Paul. Live a life worthy of calling you have received. And then love, being completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another. And we could do a whole sermon series just on that verse, but we would lose out on whatever Paul had. Paul has so much more to tell us. So moving on to verse 3 to 6. Unity. Get the right one. It says in verse 3 to 6, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, as we heard earlier. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So if we work on loving each other, being patient, humble, gentle with each other, leading on from this love, we should make every effort to be united. And I think that flows from that love. There is this great picture that Paul gives us and that's of us being one body. When we are in union with each other, this is like our own human bodies being really healthy. Everything is working together well. Each part working in union, not after its own good, but rather the good of the whole body. And that should be like us here in church, recognizing that we are under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Friends, we all come from such different lives, different backgrounds, different families. And yet the thing unifying us all, the one thing we have in common as believers, is the most important thing in life. And that is that we all know the joy and privilege of being a follower of that one Lord, Jesus, trusting and following him. When we are working in union, we recognize that, we can all, that we're all traveling together we can encourage each other so as to all strive to know Jesus better and follow him closer. So what about our log question for unity? How do we think about what we're doing in our part in helping the church to be in union and peace with each other? How am I doing? I think we need to ask ourselves, what do we need to do to increase unity here in our community called church? What do we need to do to listen to others? And again, I mean really listen. Maybe especially to those with different views than ourselves or those with different experiences that can teach us so much. How much do we challenge ourselves to be changed by another person? Or are we maybe behaving so much like we do on social media looking here in church, looking to be surrounded by those 
who will ratify our own opinions, not challenge them. Fundamentally, do we come here with an open mind to be changed? The third point, diversity. You see, I had fun. Unity is great, and it comes through and works because we recognize that we are diverse. In our healthy body analogy, each part of the body brings a different skill to a good working body. The hand does a different function than the foot, than the ear, than the eye. And that's completely as designed by our loving Heavenly Father. We are all beautifully and differently gifted. So back to our passage, and what does Paul teach us about this? This is verse 7 to 12. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when, we, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And what I've just read, there's this rather complicated bit about when he ascended on high. And it took me a while to work out what was going on too. This is actually a quote from Psalm 68 in the Old Testament. Paul is using something that happened many centuries earlier to show that God has always gifted his people in different ways to achieve what God sets out to do, and that is to show the world his love. In the past, he equipped the Israelites to become the people he wanted them to be. Here, Paul, in verse 9, continues to remind his readers that now, through Jesus coming down to earth and dying for us, and now ascending again to sit at the right hand of the Father, this Jesus Christ, who thereafter himself gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers, to equip his people for all works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so Jesus continues to call each of us to equip his people for works of service, to build the body of Christ. Each of us are made differently. You each have unique skills, even if you don't feel it, that God wants to grow so that the body of Christ may be built up. God chooses to use us, each of us, every one of us. Notice here he gives differently to different people. This can be hard for us to acknowledge and recognize what gifts he has given each of us. We may have an expectation that we want to be a certain type of person with certain skills. We may think, for example, um, that we want to be like Martha and the band earlier, incredibly capable musicians. And I have always loved music, but the closest I ever get to being able to play is pressing the play button on my music app. Although I once had a hope for more, I'm going to tell you about this, when I was 10 years old at junior school, I joined the guitar club. 
Um, but we were atrocious. We were so terrible. Um, but despite this, the teacher, maybe rather foolishly, made a commitment at the start of term that we would do the end-of-term concert. As the weeks went on, he must have felt worse and worse. We were really terrible. Um, okay, we could just about strum, I, I, I think that's the technical word, and place our fingers, but placing our fingers to make a chord was impossible. And he had to go around the class and put our fingers in place. And then we'd strum a bit, and then he'd move our fingers again. But none of us were getting any better week after week. So the big day was coming. So he came up with this great idea. Luckily, he found a song which only had two chords. So he split us into two groups, and he put, I think it was D on one of us and G on the other one. And he literally played us. And he played a song which is very, very... Um, controversial now. It was, what should we do with the drunken sailor? And he went, what should we do with the drunken sailor? What should we... And just pointed. And when he pointed, you strummed. That's the peak of my musical capability. So I will ever be in awe of those people that can stand up here and help us to worship. And um, when it's really good, we forget about them, don't we? And we just worship God. And I think that's what you're trying to achieve, isn't it? So finding our gifting, and maybe sometimes, like me, finding out the direction God doesn't want you to go, which he taught me when I was 10. For me, I love to serve you here as a minister. I love to share with you the joys of Scripture. I love to share Holy Communion with you. And I love to baptize. Oh, what joy to baptize, whether a little baby or an adult. And I love to walk alongside you um, and... In your troubles and your grief, I was at a remembrance service earlier this morning, uh, this afternoon, and I love to be with you in the thick and the thin. My wife Claire and I uh, have lived here in Claygate for over 20 years, and coming to this church is such a blessing. Um, and we both have callings. I believe we all have callings. For Claire, she's a nurse and also a phenomenal teacher. I've seen her in action, and I'm in awe of how she teaches, how she can get somebody to engage with whatever she's teaching. She teaches nurses and doctors as they care for people down at Princess Alice Hospice, as they can come to the end of their lives. She is gifted with the ability to teach. God's gifting is for all of us and comes in so many different forms. Whatever you are good at and get joy from, that is how God has gifted you. This can also be such important things like being a great, loyal friend to somebody. Or if you are a mom or dad or a brother or sister, then these are giftings too. Yes, although it doesn't always seem so, being a good brother or a good sister is a gift from God. So too is being great at hospitality, welcoming people into our homes, cooking a wonderful meal, or even making a cup of tea just at that right moment for a friend. I once was teaching on this gift of hospitality in Ukraine to the churches we partner with there. And as I spoke, I was being translated by a wonderful student interpreter. And as she translated the phrase, the spiritual gift of hospitality, suddenly everybody burst out laughing. And the interpreter stopped, and she laughed herself and went bright red. And then she had to explain. She'd made a big mistake. 
she, instead of saying the spiritual gift of hospitality, had uh, asked for people to pray for the spiritual gift of hostility. <laughs> so where is the log question for diversity? Here, I think, we need to challenge ourselves in two ways. First of all, are we looking in ourselves for how God has made us? Looking and praying to God, asking him to reveal in us what he has given us that brings us such joy and peace and meaning in our life. And secondly, because I think the first one is really hard to find it in ourselves. So secondly, I think we need to be encouragers to others, noticing when someone shows real passion for something. Sometimes it's easier for someone else to see this than for ourselves. And so if you notice something, someone doing something so well here in church or wherever you are, Monday to Saturday, and whether at work or school or wherever you are, let's be encouragers as we see God's gifts being used. Each of these three things we've looked at so far, love, unity, and diversity, are not one-off things. These are things we need to work on, things we need to grow more and more. These are, these are aspects of our lives that we need to keep on working on with the target that we do love each other and are in union, sharing and in celebrating each other's diverse gifts. Paul finishes this passage by encouraging his readers and us by setting out this amazing target in verse 13 to 16, where it says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There will no longer, um, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Isn't that an amazing aspirational picture? As we grow, wouldn't you like your faith to be that strong? And that's the start, having that desire to want to grow our faith. So my last Log. Growth. So what is our final log question? I think it's having that heart to keep pursuing this goal that Paul describes. To want to be individuals that strive for us as a group, to be a church that love and are in union, to play our part and look at ourselves in playing that part. So as we grow closer and closer to each other and to follow Jesus closer and in all aspects of our lives, this is the way we can live a life worthy of the calling we have received. God bless you all. Amen.